My name is Christina Boss Hamilton. I'm the host and I'm also the founder of KBH Advocacy, which is a, a lobbying and consulting firm based here in Sacramento. I am a former labor lobbyist. I worked as a ledge director for one of the largest unions in California for about 10 years. And I started my own practice working with like-minded economic justice, labor orgs, progressive orgs who are seeking to do advocacy work and get some big stuff done in our state. And so it's my pleasure to host these events. And also I have a podcast. If you don't know, the podcast is the blueprint for California advocates. It is available on any podcast player. You just need to type in the title. And so I put this content out as regularly as I can so that we can make government more accessible to advocates on the ground who don't live and breathe the world in the capital and Sacramento. And we want to make sure that folks have the access to the information, access to what they need to know in order to win campaigns and change the world for the better, especially for your community. And so I'd love to do quick introductions of our speakers, and I am going to open it up for Q&A once everyone's had a chance, once we've had a little bit of dialogue, because I think the questions are the most interesting part of, of these conversations. So I'll start by asking Anthony Wright to introduce himself. Hi there. Great to be here. My name is Anthony Wright. I'm the executive director of Health Access California, the statewide healthcare consumer advocacy coalition. I've been executive director here for 20 years. And so happy to be part of this conversation as somebody who has you know, some experience working in both good times and bad times, but, but always focus on the budget, given how important health the budget is to health care as one of the main things that we the state spends its money on. Thank you. Uh, so great to be here. Awesome. I appreciate you spending your time with us. And Scott, if you'd like to go next. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Christina. This is Scott Graves. I'm the research director at the California Budget and Policy Center. We are based here in Sacramento. We're a nonpartisan research and analysis nonprofit, and we are committed to advancing public policies that improve the lives of Californians with low incomes. Excellent. Thank you, Scott. You are you are basically my like almost co-host at this point with our Twitter Spaces series. <laughs> oh, great to be back, Christina. Yes, yes. Love your expertise. And then Dante Golden, if you would please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks. Super excited to be here. Dante Golden, everyone, Senior Director of Policy at the San Diego Housing Federation. We represent those who support build and finance affordable housing out in Southern California. Previous to my gig as affordable housing lobbyist, I worked in the legislature for about four years. I got my start actually at Health Access as an intern. From there, went over in the legislature, worked in the office of Senator Holly Mitchell when she was budget chair at the time. From there, got in the Capital Fellowship Program, worked for Senator Scott Weiner, and then transitioned as a senior ledge aide over to Senator John Laird's office and worked as his sub one budget staff. I helped him negotiate and work on all things K-12 higher in pre-k in the budget for about two and a half years so i'm excited to talk today great yay thank you dante for joining us all right so let's start it off with why we're here the may revise or the may revision is a uniquely californian thing i think um those of us who do budget advocacy or, or legislative advocacy we're familiar with 
those words, but what do they mean? And why is the May Revise important? And why are we even here talking about it right now? So I'd love to have you kick off, Scott, with just a very sort of high level, what is the May Revise? Why do we, why does it happen? And why is it important? Okay, awesome question. So the May revision happens because it's actually required by state law. The law requires the governor to introduce a revised budget on or before May 14th of each year. Since May 14th is Mother's Day this year, the governor decided not to make everyone look at the May revision on Mother's Day, and he's, that's why he's releasing it on Friday, May 12th. So if you really zoom back and think big picture, what is the May revision about? All it's doing is updating the governor's original spending plan proposal from January to take into account new realities and new priorities. So essentially what it's doing is it's giving the governor another bite at the apple in the budget debate, and he gets the opportunity to try to reset the budget narrative heading into negotiations with legislative leaders later in May and into June. So maybe one way to think of it is as a three-act play, the May revision is act two. So essentially act one of this play is the governor releases his proposed budget in January. Act two is he comes back with a revised budget in May. And act three is all the negotiating that goes on in June and carries forward into August to provide the final shape to the budget for the fiscal year that's coming up. So I'm not gonna go further into the weeds on this, but I did wanna say that there are three big differences this year compared to prior years with respect to the May revision that everybody should be keeping in mind. And a couple of them aren't gonna be surprises to anyone. The first is that we are expecting the governor's revised budget to report revenues that are lower than he anticipated back in January, which means he'll also likely be reporting a larger shortfall that will need to be addressed as part of negotiations with legislative leaders. The second thing that many of us are aware of is that because the federal government extended tax filing from April to October, the state's tax agency followed suit. So state personal income taxes for 2022 don't need to be settled up until October, that means the revenue forecast that we are building this budget off of is going to be a much bigger guesstimate than it usually is and means that this budget is gonna be more unsettled than it typically would be. And then the final thing that everyone should be aware of is that the legislature has really gotten out in front this time around. I could be wrong, somebody on this space, in this space, correct me if I'm wrong, but this may be the first time one of the houses in the legislature has put out a pretty comprehensive plan in advance of the May revision. So many, if not all of us, are aware that the Senate released their own budget plan a couple of weeks ago. Some very substantive proposals in there, including one that would boost taxes on the most profitable corporations doing business in California. So they got pretty far out in front of the governor on that one. And then just yesterday, the assembly released a major plan related to boosting childcare rates. So those are three big things that are different this year as we head toward the May revision on Friday. That is super important for folks to have context. Thank you, Scott, for highlighting that. I think it's an important thing to just start with. You know, the state has been in very sort of positive economic position, I would say for the last four-ish years, maybe longer than that. 
where generally the May revise has not been something that has been too dreadful, or I should say folks haven't anticipated seeing negative things coming out in May that didn't already come out in January. And in fact, if anything, the May revision for the last several years has been just adjustments in policy that the governor wants to pursue, making perhaps changes in prioritization. The May revise that I guess I learned about when I first began work as a budget lobbyist, which was in 2010, for the first many years of my work, it was actually a sign of you know particular pain and more pain than what we would see in January, simply because the projections were you know, typically very negative at that point and always getting worse as the year progressed in terms of actual revenue collection. So I want to say this is the first year in a while where to me, and maybe I'm just like scarred, (laughs) it feels like coming home. It feels like this is what the budget always was like. But then, of course, that's just my experience. I I think the last several years have been very unique. And I know that for some folks, that's all that they know. And I know for a lot of members of the legislature, that is what they know as well. And so this year marks a definitive trend back in the other direction, where we are expecting that the governor will announce lower revenue projections and collections than what they anticipated in January. And so typically what that means is they've got a bigger deficit and how are they going to fill that deficit is really the, you know, the big question before us. And those of us who are advocating currently to get funding in the budget or who won funding in the budget in the last couple of years You know, we've been keen, very painfully aware that we have to be having our, you know, advocacy with the administration and the legislature to not reduce what gains we made and to continue to fund the things that we believe are priorities for Californians, especially in light of the fact that just because the state was doing well doesn't mean that Californians were doing well or all of them weren't. And so we were trying to, you know, uplift policies that uplifted everybody. So I'd like at this point to just pass it to Dante from the perspective of being a staffer in the building who can speak to what typically is going on at this moment in time, at least as it relates to ledge staff and budget staff, as like folks are gearing up for this revise to drop. Yeah, it's a very different landscape for most advocates, even for most members. A lot of members, a third of them are new. They've never been around for the 2009-2010 cuts, and um, those conversations were very difficult. A lot of members got elected in 2012 based off of how bad the cuts actually were because things were just horrendous from the perspective of folks on the outside. Back then, it seemed like budget cuts were being done with a sledgehammer and not necessarily a scalpel. We're not in the same place 
place we were in 2009, which I think is helpful. The overall and proportional magnitude of this year's budget problem, even with updated numbers coming in on Friday, it's nowhere close to that of the worst California budgets in the past, which was again around when you were getting your start, Christina. So that's helpful. In 2009, Jason Sisney just put out some numbers today, actually. He said that the legislature and Governor Schwarzenegger enacted a $59.5 billion corrective budget actions at a time when total general fund expenditures just before the Great Recession were about $100 billion per year. So obviously, very big difference between the situation we're in now, which the administration put out $22.5 billion budget problem with corrective of $163 billion. So right now, the legislature is doing the negotiation piece. The subcommittee process really is a time for the legislature to hear the governor's January proposals, really criticize it, for lack of better words, or really just ask the tougher questions throughout the process. The last two years, and it might have been previous to my time, there haven't been a conference committee. The Assembly and Senate have been trying to align themselves pretty early on on a range of, of issues to go have leverage going into the May revise. That way they can negotiate against the administration. If you're an advocate and you're working on a member ask and you got into one of your members' priorities, that's great. If you're hoping that the legislature has a bunch of leverage heading into those conversations. The assembly usually doesn't have everything together. I think vis-a-vis just the amount of members that are in the assembly. The Senate, I believe last year, Scott, did release a detailed plan, maybe not this close to the May revise, but it seems like previous years, the Senate leads, they are, quote unquote, the more progressive house. They're able to get their members on board a lot easier because there's just less members. And then from there, after the May revise happens, you'll start to see what the assembly's priorities are, where they're landing on key issues. And then it's a really quick turnaround of negotiations. You have a very short window to have a legislative version of the budget and then just oppose that with the governor's version of a budget. So if you're working on a budget play, hopefully you've lobbied enough throughout the last few months, because at this time, things are going to move really, really quickly in those negotiation processes. Good point, Dante. Basically, I'm so glad, A, that you brought up Jason Sisney's stack. If you are not subscribed, I highly, highly recommend that you do. I actually tweeted out his what he updated today with very, very powerful summary of all the tools in the toolbox for filling deficits. And he just gives such a insightful look as the assembly budget chief, former member, former staff of the LAO. So I want to recommend folks do that. I mean, from my perspective, I think the May revise signals the beginning of the end. And it's sort of like, okay, from here on in, negotiations between the administration and leadership go into high gear. I'm, I'm sure they've already began on broader issue areas where there is agreement. I think, you know, if you follow, you know, they settle the issue areas where there is not controversy or conflict. They tend to settle those first because they're the easy ones. And, you know, that that means dialogue between the speaker, the pro tem and the governor. Now, they may not have spoken the big three together yet, but their staff certainly are and will be in earnest after Friday. So I would love, Anthony, if you could give your perspective as a lobbyist who is right now seeking budget funding? Because I did want to give the perspective of what is happening on the ground right now, what you are hearing. You don't need to give, you know, delve into the details of what you're campaigning for, 
I mean, you're welcome to, but I'm thinking big picture, um, what are budget staff and administration telling you as it relates to new funding requests? Yeah, so I, I I think there's lots lots of different metaphors here. I think this is the this is the home stretch. As if if this, and maybe this is an inappropriate metaphor, but it's the mar. If if we've been going on the marathon since January, now this is the sprint or the that last kick, right? The in essence, the the May revise is mid May. The budget needs to be basically done by constitutional deadline by mid-June. So basically it's the last month. And that means from an advocacy point of view that, you know, obviously you're hopeful that, the you know, maybe something that you've been advocating for over the course of the year, the governor will include in, in his in his budget as he revises it in May, that he, he may see Oh, that was a good idea. Idea I'll include it in my budget, but more often than not, the the governor will, especially in a year where there is less money to work with rather than more, then then the the question is, w- the governor will have his proposal and and that will be the basis of his, his starting point for negotiation is the May revise and what's in it, and so then the question is, what will the legislature prioritize? as part of their negotiations because at the end of the day the 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 two the two houses and the governor need to come to an agreement and and it is often because it is a negotiated product it it a, there is going to be some give but it's not going to be everything the legislature wants and so at some at some level it is the it is what does the legislature prioritize as their top two, top three, top four th- things that they're going to say, well, this is what we want to get out of the budget negotiation in terms of adjustments, augmentations, changes in policy. What are the things we want to get out of this? And of course, the other factor here is not just the positional negotiation, but also the box of the of the budget, of the money. At the end of the day, this all has to pencil out. And so... If this means that we're asking for more more money in X place, then where is that money coming from? Does it mean th- that there are adjustments downward in other areas, or you know, is there the potential of revenue? I again, we are very appreciative of the Senate for, for and the Senate proposal for putting out that the notion of a graduated corporate tax and and reforming the corporate tax so that the the bigger corporations pay their fair share into the budget. That's a really important piece of it. In the world of healthcare, there is some hope to try to have some investment in the Medi-Cal program in the context of an increased MCO tax, which I don't want to get into details of, but it, it, you know, it's a, a way to, to draw down more federal dollars by taxing managed care plans. And it, and it is in those situations where there you ha- can have more ability to make investments especially in a year especially in a year where there's just not the general growth of the general fund based on the growth of the economy and if, when you don't have that then you then you're in a tighter box overall but in terms of timetable you know the other limited resource as a, in addition to money is time and for advocates there's not a lot left right like we the the budget committees have been going through their deliberately through their committee hearings over the over the last several 
months. Now they're going to be go up at warp speed, meeting much more frequently, in some cases almost on a daily basis, and just going through items. And there's just there's just a lot less time, you know, with regard to open public hearings and frankly, the time to the staff. And so advocates just need to be much more targeted about what what is their priority? What what are they going to push in the limited amount of time that they can get the attention of legislators or their staffs? And and literally, that's like in the next couple of weeks, because once we start getting even into early June, then you know, we're in the final stages of that negotiation. And a lot of, and obviously that's, that wouldn't be the time to introduce anything new. It, it, it may almost be too late for that already. Yes, right. Thanks for that, Anthony. I, I think I could say confidently, you know, the, the main message from both budget staff, administration, you know, lawmakers is, you know, not this year, right? When it comes to new investments, we don't agree we don't disagree with the need we don't disagree with the policy but you know no capacity in the budget or at least you know i'm speaking super generally because obviously there's always those one-off priorities that folks have and you know our job as advocates is to push no matter what that's what we do i think it's you know it's, it's challenging to make your case when there's not a big you know, sort of pot of money to say, here, pay for it out of this big pot. And so you get creative, like you were saying, Anthony, with things like the MCO tax and, you know, other sort of funds, special funds and movements of dollars, et cetera. Um, Scott, I would love to hear from you, you know, wh where are you thinking the deficit will end up? Where, where do you think we're actually at in terms of the deficit? Oh, my crystal ball is pretty cloudy, Christina. <laughs> so, you know, if actually, what I actually wanted to push back on a little bit, Christina, if I may, is- Of course. Okay, I, with all due respect, I think you were veering a little too heavily toward an austerity narrative there, which we know the governor is very likely, very likely to push. But I think we need to keep in mind that the Senate plan that came out a couple of weeks ago, you know, whether or not you think this is possible, right, whether you think the assembly is really going to go for it, the governor obviously has come out pretty negative. But I think that, you know, a lot of advocates, I hope, realize that we are not going to make substantial progress in investing in Californians so we can ensure that everyone can thrive without additional revenues coming into our state treasury. So we think that the state budget really shows that it is possible to make the ongoing investments that Californians need by requiring fairer taxation of a small number of hugely profitable corporations doing business in California. So of course, there will be pushback against that narrative, but I think we all need to remember that it is a legitimate tool in the toolbox, right? Yeah. There is no yeah. silver bullet to closing a budget shortfall. And I think the Senate plan also shows that it's possible to think bigger in a tough budget year than just say, you know, wringing your hands and saying, oh dear, how are we gonna close this gap? What are we gonna have to cut to do it? You can actually say, no, we're gonna reframe the narrative and say, this is the time we need to be investing even more in Californians and we have the resources to do it. Mm, thanks for pushing back on me, Scott. You know, to be clear, <laughs> I was trying to relay the general mood and feedback, not necessarily, you know, my, my belief uh, in terms of austerity, 
But very good point taken that the legislature can do all sorts of things beyond, you know, not cutting, reducing, pushing back on existing programs or services and or, you know, investing in new programs or in new services for folks. I totally agree right. with you on that. Yeah. yeah, there's, yeah. There's, I'm there's, sorry, Christine, I wasn't trying. I shouldn't have said it was you. I know you were characterizing, but I think there's a little more optimism in the Senate. Now, they maybe they don't believe their own optimism. I don't really know what's going on there, but they put <laughs> out a plan that says, hey, let's raise six billion dollars ongoing and invest it in things like, you know, a billion dollars a year in boosting funding to solve our homelessness crisis, right. you know, a billion to raise child care provider rates, right. boosting refundable tax credits for long. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that you can say yes to, but you also need to recognize that in order to get there, we need the revenues to do it. And so they're actually putting out a plan that charts a path forward. Maybe it doesn't happen this year, but we would see it as a stepping stone to maybe wins in a future year. Scott, just to, just to add on there, as someone coming from the Senate, I always feel like it's the better house. Never worked in the assembly, so sorry for all the <laughs> assembly staffers. But it seemed like in the last, even when there was a budget surplus, 2021, 2022, the governor always came out as someone who was a bit more conservative in his approach to the budget. When it came to LCFF funding, when it came to trying to spend more for the UC system, CSU, on the range of capital outlay projects across the entire education spectrum, he was pretty small in his assessments of what can be done. And that was when we had a budget surplus year. So it, it, it seems like the legislature is always just opposing, at least the Senate is taking lead on this. And then the assembly follows back on being the one to say, no, 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 let's reframe our thinking. To your point, Scott, there's money that we have now. Let's reshuffle the, the table and let's make sure that we're actually putting money toward the priorities that we out as the Dem party in the state. So I'm, I'm happy that the legislature always takes a much more optimistic approach. And it, it looks like the last couple of years, they've been able to itch out more wins against, against the administration's pessimistic view sometimes. Yeah, good point, Dante. I guess, you know, the Department of Finance is, you know, they speak the language of austerity because that's their role, right? They protect the general fund at all costs. I guess, honestly, I feel like maybe I have like PTSD or something where I am just like in this, you know, sadly cynical, you know, state around the budget, because I just, I don't know, I feel like that's my recollection of how it was. And I need to get past that. That's, that's my own problem, I guess. I would love to open it up for questions. Folks can also tweet questions, just so you know, but if you have a specific question or comment, like just, I think you can raise your hand on this thing. I'm happy to open the conversation up. I'd love to get folks' perspective on what they're working on <clears throat> and you know anything they can share relative to that. I also would like to, you know, really give a lot, a lot of recognition and credit to budget staff who are, you know, 24-7 working on these issues. Obviously, the budget committee chairs and you know, leadership. Definitely folks in the administration, you know, this is 24 seven at this point. And I often think to myself, man, I would not want to have some, some of these roles right now, because I just know, you know, we're talking weekends and late nights and I just want to be super recognizing that this is not a small thing. In fact, somebody told me a couple of years ago, one of the budget staffer, it is like landing negotiating and putting, not negotiating, I say that, 
landing the budget is like landing a plane, a jet plane on an aircraft carrier. It is a very big task with lots of moving parts and lots of people. And it all has to be coordinated to not crash and burn. <laughs> and so again, I just always come from the perspective of awe that folks are like making this happen year in and year out. I'm not seeing, has anyone, are there any questions? Cause I don't see any. All right, opening it up again. I'll, t I'll take the first lead. I think it's helpful coming from the budget world where I work closely with education, budget consultants, um, the assembly, but mostly the Senate and how we try to analyze, I think, good proposals. Sometimes when advocates come and talk to budget consultants, you don't know exactly what they're looking for. You are kind of like glossy eyed sometimes with the detailed questions that we ask. You just simply don't know what can stick to the wall when you're trying to lobby. For us, mm -hmm. I think there's a good internal dialogue that folks have used internally to vet a proposal. And frankly, it's simply asking, answering the door, the direct questions. The first one is, what is the fund source? If you're an education person, is your budget play going to tap into Prop 98? Is it a general fund? Is it a special fund? If, is this a district-specific priority? Is this a statewide request? Is this a stakeholder ask or is this a member ask? Um, mm. If it's a district-specific ask, is the senator or assembly member sponsoring the ask? Is the funding source, obviously, nowadays, is it mostly one-time funding? Is it ongoing mm. funding? And then is this a caucus priority? I think simply answering those framework helps out a bunch for us as budget consultants as they're inside trying to navigate that space. And it's not to say that you have to have all those <laughs> questions answered, but it's super helpful because there is a ton of different budget plays happening all at once. Budget staff are always overworked. And I think for them, they want to know that if they're going to put money towards something, that it's a worthy investment and not just identifying things to throw money at that are not fully baked. Uh, if there's ways you could quantify your budget ask and how it's going to actually have real world, world impact, have that be on the first page you're sending into folks and just have that be what you're leading with. Again, when it's there's money to go around, I think it's a little bit easier, but even when there's not money to go around, around showing how your budget ass is quantifiably changing and solving a real world problem is, uh, is, is super helpful for people that simply don't have a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, I, I would also just want to just piggyback on that. Just a, a, again, the key thing here is about priorities. A budget is a reflection of the state's priorities. And the question is then, it's not that your idea, your focus is a, not a good one. It just is how do you prioritize it? And some of those things, you know, obviously having a having ch champion, a champion or champions in the legislature of, you know, assembly members, senators to 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 be that if it's if it's a priority because from certain caucuses or from with regard to does it fit into the priorities of that have been stated by the state in, you know, in the world of education, in the world of health? Does it help us get to some goal that we need to make? You know, obviously, is an emergency. Is is there a need to sort of respond to something right now? There are needs out there that are that that are that need to be dealt with this year. And you know, sometimes priorities take some time. And you know, we certainly have been the case that even even if you don't win something this year, you never lose until you give up. And sometimes right. you That's need right. to make right. Sometimes you need to make the request for a year or for a couple of years for, for it many to be years. developed. Yeah. To, uh, and for them to be ready for the window when there is money available, etc. Now, obviously, if you have your own funding source, if you have or, or you have an opportunity to provide 
savings or funding, that actually helps a lot. You know, one of the requests we have this year is on providing greater affordability in covered California. And, you know, we think that, you know, and part of our argument is that it's that it's exist that we have existing money from an existing revenue source. In in this case, the the man the mandate that is the penalty does that raises money for from the individual mandate to pay for that. So we believe we have an ex, an existing program and existing funding source for that. So that that puts it like in a different category than you know new money for a for, for a new program. But there just thinking about how you prioritize this and how this gets to be a priority of the legislature when they're in that negotiation with the governor, with the Department of Finance, is a is really critical in these last couple of weeks. Because, again, it's not just that it has to be good. It has to be how how is it how does it rise to be in that, you know, this is the, the, these are the things where we are. We have a difference with with the governor's proposal with the May revise, and this is what we're going to say is our linchpin as part of these negotiations. That's really, really good, Anthony and Dante. The only thing I would add is that, for the most part, those conversations that you're referring to should have started in January. Yeah. And I say that only to say that if you try to start that conversation right now, I don't know that anyone will be listening to you. No, that's right. That's right. Again, this is yeah. the end of the, of the process, not the, this is the end of the process, not the beginning. That's right. And that's a, all, all those hearings in from January through May were basically setting up this, this process. And again, that's why, you know, one of the limited resources we have is not just money, but time. And at the time of the legislators, at the time of the staff. And so, you know, we just advocates should recognize that. So I have a question from Russell Lowry. Any tips for encumbering funds that were previously approved? That one hits home for me, Russell, because I actually... <laughs> have been working to encumber funds that I was myself with a wonderful organization were able to secure last year. And, you know, just so folks are clear, the monies can be appropriated or are appropriated on July 1. It sure takes time sometimes for that money to get to the departments and, you know, to go through the mechanisms and the bureaucracy in order to actually get out the door. In this case, it's for grants for providers who do aging services. And so getting that those funds encumbered was a very important goal of ours to do it as quickly as possible. What I've been told about that is the, the answer to how to encumber funds, it is an accounting term that only the department's, I guess, bean counters can tell you if funds have been encumbered or not. I think a way to think about it is, are they committed to in the form of a contract with a vendor or, you know, it, are, I view it as have those, has commitments been made on spending those dollars? Because again, like you can have the appropriation on July 1, but actual like flowing of dollars out the door 
takes months and months and months often. And so whether or not the administration or finance, I should say, identifies your pot of money as money that can be reduced or postponed, which is what we know a lot of environmental and transportation folks are, are dealing with, I, I want to say, and folks can correct me, that it, it really is your, your pool of money, is that available when it's been encumbered, it's a lot harder for them to claw back and they may not try to do that. So I think that's a super good, I guess, thing to think about and a term to think about. If folks have anything else they want to say on that, you can send a tweet with questions or if you can even raise your hand. I thought you could do a little emoji thing where you can like put your hand up or maybe even just some other way to indicate that you want me to open you up to speak. And if you want to do that, let me know. I do have another question from Alchemist Community Development Corporation. Two questions. Do we expect a lot of additional funding to be accomplished after October with trailer bills? Will it be worthwhile targeting that window if a program is not yet in the revise or in the Senate priority list? So that is a good question because trailer bills. So going back to, you know, me, me sounding like I'm a been around the block for too long. It used to be that majority of budget trailer bills were all done by June 15th, or actually I should say post prop 25 prop 25 was passed years ago. And it basically says if there's not, you know, the lawmakers don't vote on a budget by June 15th, they'll start losing their paycheck each day. After Prop 25 passed, by June 15th, we have a budget. And during the brown years, it for sure used to be that the majority, the vast majority of budget trailer bills were done by June 15th, and they were all generally voted on at the same time. We're seeing more of a trend in these later years around especially the bigger ticket, more controversial, more complicated issues, work being done through the summer and budget trailer bills surfacing later on in the session. So to answer the question here, after October with trailer bills, well, they're not going to be, I assume you mean before session ends, because they'll, they'll be done by October. You can absolutely keep trying to get additional funding during the summertime. Your window is... Very, very, very tiny because things that happen into July, August, September, those are things where there's generally an agreement has been reached, but it's the details that haven't been sorted out. Or it's a late breaking item that, you know, is immediate and needs to be addressed. And it's just something that hadn't been anticipated. So I'm going to say I wouldn't expect to see new investments after June 15th or July 1, honestly, 
unless these are things again that conceptually agreement has been reached. Yeah, just to add on there, I I, I wouldn't my two cents. I wouldn't hedge. I wouldn't hedge my bets on getting funding from a trailer bill, depending upon what your issue area really is. But even if it is a smaller issue issue area, I I feel like those trailer bills are usually a member priority that was agreed upon, but it's kind of cleanup when it comes to housing and community development issues. Really, the Senate's plan is something that folks could probably be leaning into and advocating it's much more expansive than um, what the governor put out. There's $800 million for additional support for California Dream for All program. There's $500 million for low-income housing tax credits. That's the primary way that affordable housing is actually funded by the state. And there's $300 million for expanded affordable housing development investments, $100 million for CalHome, um, the governor proposed to cut. So, yeah, I think I agree, Christina. When it comes to uh, trailer bills, it's usually like a cleanup, a member priority that couldn't make it. Usually you're not going to get an ask in there because, again, this time of the year, most of the budget negotiations are going to be wrapped up by then. Good point. Thank you, Dante. And just so you know, Alchemist Community Development Corporation said, thank you. My question was because of the delayed tax filing deadline to October. Got it. Yeah, so so say all of a sudden, you know, the filing deadline ends in October and, and numbers are way above what folks are thinking. I don't know that anything changes at that point, purely because the process is for the years concluded. And I just opened up Abigail, who requested to speak. Hi there, can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay, hi, Abby Alvarez with Everyday Impact. I just had a quick question, and you already started to answer it with the last one. But for some of us advocates who are working in this type of budget situation for the first time, it's been a really big push to get to the May revise and see what happens there. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit on this window after the May revise until the final budget. So, for example, if our ask isn't included in the May revise, how much opportunity or what you think we should be doing if there's any chance to get into final or if we are in the in the May revise, um, I guess, is there any risk of it being dropped before the final or is that pretty set? Mm, good question. I, I would offer this. Being in or not in the May revise definitely does not mean that you are done with what you're trying to do. The May revise is really the governor's priorities. Do things wind up in the final budget that are not in the revise? Yes, absolutely. Because the leadership has their own priorities. And so really the question is, I want to say, who was it that said this earlier? Maybe it was not here, but somebody said, you know, you need two of the big three. You need either both leaders in the, in the legislature or you need one of them and the governor. But if you've got both leaders and, you know, the governor's not there yet, yes, they absolutely can negotiate their priorities into the final agreement. And I would say, you know, those negotiations are, are happening and it's not done until they vote on June 15th. Now, if they include priorities in the June 15th budget bill, can the, the governor can line item veto so if they go ahead and put something in there that he is just, you know, really hell bent on not doing, you could get dropped on June 30 or whenever he signs the final budget. I, I, I like to think that until that signature is dried on the budget bill, and frankly, unless 
and when my trailer bill is signed, especially if I have money that has complicated policy attached to it, that it is not done until it has been signed and chaptered. Um, and I'm always possible to not get what I want. Anthony, actually, you are requesting, but you're a speaker. Let me open you back up. Go ahead, Anthony. Anthony, you're on. Okay, Dante or Scott, do you have anything you want to add to Abigail's question? I guess this is Scott. One thing I would add is a phrase Anthony used earlier, which is warp speed post-May revision, which is also a term that we use in our budget process trainings. You know, the reality is we keep, we'll fixate on June 15th as the constitutional deadline to pass the budget bill. That is true, but you always have to work back from that, right? We have the three-day bill in print rule, which puts you at June 12th. Mm. It takes them many it takes them many days, a week or more to mm -hmm. sort of prep the budget bill. Mm -hmm. It's almost a thousand pages. It's very complex. So you're working backwards there. Maybe by that point, you're at June 4th or 5th, potentially mm -hmm. sometime yeah. in early June. Yeah. May revisions coming out on the 12th. So it does. And of course, the legislature now they've shown, as Dante mentioned earlier, they've, they've moved toward trying to craft a unified position rather than having two separate plans that they move out of their own houses and then they try to negotiate themselves in public. That's right. Yes. Yes. So that's that's how the warp speed part comes in is very few committee hearings, fewer opportunities to really, you know, get into the room with budget committee consultants and members. The legislature is trying to craft a potentially this year, again, a unified budget relatively quickly after the May revision comes out so they can head into those negotiations with the governor with a unified front instead of being divided, as Dante mentioned earlier. So, I mean, really, we're talking about weeks here and the, those days, those days are going to go by really fast. Yeah, just only one more point is the budget consultants are your best friend during this time period. You need to have a, a good communication lifeline with them. They communicate to each other, but whatever your issue area is, sub one, sub four, sub five, I mean, just go to those consultants. They're going to have the tea, read the tea leaves correctly on it. Um, and they're the ones who are going to be talking amongst each other in the legislature. Members do talk about budget items, but it's usually the big, broader, thornier political issues or their own priorities. If you're not in a member's priority or you are not one of those bigger politically thorny issues, you need to be talking to the budget consultant. Good point, Dante. Thank you. Any last questions? I'm cognizant of the time and I want to be respectful of people's time. I do have one last question in my DMs, but I do want to look around, see if anyone's requesting to speak. Okay, cool. So the last question from the Alchemist Community, Community Development Corporation, is there serious talk about new corporate taxes like Scott mentioned? Is there a, be, a way to be involved in that to help shape it? For instance, bringing a coalition together to advocate for a constant $1 billion annually in food systems anti-hunger. So yes, I would say there is serious talk for sure. The Senate would not have released the, the report unless this was a Senate caucus priority. Are there ways to be involved? Yes. I know there's different organizations that are taking the lead to promote and support. Your organization can write a letter of support that you send to 
the governor, the speaker, and the pro tem urging passage of that proposal, saying that you're you know completely on board with it. If folks have any resources that you want to point the alchemist to, please tweet those out so that we can connect them to other organizations that might be doing petitions. It will certainly be agendized, I imagine, to be heard in Senate budget. So I would keep myself very attuned to Senate budget hearings in so that when it is scheduled to be heard, you can do public comment. You can also do public comment in an assembly budget hearing. Even if that issue is not agendized, you can certainly talk on it and urge the assembly to follow suit. But yes, the, there's, there's a lot of room, and I'm sure that Senate leaders are um, eager to have the help of stakeholders to voice their support for the proposal, for sure. So the last thing that I, I want to say is a lot of these questions around spe specifically around the process, I do have a couple of podcast episodes that are very specific to the budget process and how it works. I encourage you, again, if you want to go to kbhadvocacy.com forward slash podcast, you'll see all the episodes. I did one with former Senator Kam Lager, now Congress member, around her as in her role as a subcommittee chair. I did a very, very intense one with Jennifer Kent former head of DHCS and member of both the Brown and the Schwarzenegger and the Newsom administrations. She gave just a masterclass on, from the administration perspective on how that process works. So I encourage you to delve deeper. And also I have resources. I know the California Budget and Policy Center has amazing resources on their website that explain how the process works as well. So I want to encourage you to reach out and get more. I want to also encourage you, if you are interested in learning or being attuned to future episodes of the podcast and future Twitter Spaces events, all of which is on the same kind of valuable content, you can sign up. I have a free email newsletter that I'm putting out. That is at KBH Advocacy dot com forward slash subscribe and i'm going to put that those links out on the the tweet tweet those links out now any final words wait we lost scott where did he go? i had one question i wanted to post to to you christina and, and to anthony and hopefully scott he gets back i'm trying to find him actually let me see invite speaker i'll throw it to anthony right now Go, go for Anthony, it. Yeah. What's, your, what's, your, what's your take on the way that the budget is going to shake up this year? Do you think the, the, the legislature is going to get the win or do you think the governor is going to get the win? It seemed like the last two years, the legislature eked out a bit more priorities than the governor, but we're in a budget deficit year now, so I'm curious. I mean, I, I, I as an advocate from outside, I, I, I typically don't see it, you know, as a a win-loss thing at the end of the day. Just, you know, we're fighting for the win for the California people. And I know that's a political answer, but I also believe it. But I would also say that at the end of the day, it's a negotiation between them both, right? I mean, the, you know, Governor Brown was very, you know, tended to sort of 
let the legislature come to him with with new new funding proposals and ideas. Governor Newsom wants to get out ahead sometimes and take ownership, but but he has shown that he's willing to also negotiate and 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 include priorities that the legislature has prioritized. I think you know this is a different year because of the because there's a downturn and as you you were expert at talking about earlier in the podcast this was you know we have a downturn but it is something that we hope is manageable and so we hope that the the governor is not proposing you know rollbacks or delays or other things you know you know the protect our progress theme is i think important and something that we've heard a lot from both the assembly and the senate going forward and i and i think that there would be room for at least some Maybe not everything that we want, but some, still some steps forward, even you know, in in a different context, and that's what we need to fight for. And again, you know, if we can take those initial steps uh, or a, a, a next steps this year, that just continues the momentum, and hopefully, we don't have a, and hopefully, economic indicators help us take additional steps into the future. My last point is just simply that, that we can't think of budget advocacy as a one-year proposition. This is an ongoing multi-year effort because you very rarely get everything you want in one year. And even when you do, there's implementation, there's follow-up, there's oversight. And and so you, this has to be the looking at this for the long haul with these little sprints, you know, every May to June as we, as we put, put the budgets together. Great answer, Anthony. Any final words, you guys, before we sign off? Anthony sums it up really optimistic and great that you're right. This is a multi-year process. It's it's good that we budgeted the last couple of decades to where when we hit these economic downturns, like they're going to happen every decade or so, we usually have now been much more prepared for it. So I'm excited. It's it's not 2008, which is, which is good. Awesome. I love that. Thank you, Anthony. Anything before we close the door? No, just uh, I appreciate everybody who's just engaged in this process. It's a, uh, it's an important. The budget is a reflection of our values, and the more that we can make sure that it's a budget that uh, tries to help the people of California fulfill their promise and their potential, and you know, we're there's a lot more to do in that regard, but. I, I think we've taken important steps. We certainly have in the world of healthcare. I know we've done in other areas, and we need to continue that progress. And I and hopefully the next couple of weeks ind- indicate the you know what are those next steps going forward. That's really good. I love that we have made tremendous strides forward in the last several years, and really recognizing the governor and leadership for what they've been able to accomplish this might be a negative time, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't recognize and look big picture at all the work that advocates and our lawmakers have been able to accomplish. Thank you all so much for joining. And I will be putting this up as a podcast. I thank you so much and welcome your feedback. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone.